You know, how I define a stronghold, that it is actually a lie that the enemy tells us or our life circumstances or perceptions might speak to us and we will count it as true, but it is actually false. And so what we try to help people identify is what is that root issue, that open door in your life or that trauma that will cause you to start feeling, uh, you know, unworthy or fear of success or fear of failure. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, author and speaker, Rebecca Greenwood. Now, Becca wrote a book that was released earlier this year called Defeating Strongholds of the Mind, A Believer's Guide to Breaking Free. And breaking free is in all caps. I love that. If you or someone you know struggles with anger, depression, fear, rejection, trauma from your past, or sin in your life that you just can't seem to root out, and let's face it, we all have issues that we're dealing with, this is a show you will not want to miss and share. Rebecca unpacks the biblical idea of strongholds, how they take hold in our minds, and how to tear them down. My co-host John Ramsted and I had a chance to chat with Becca recently, and here's how we got that conversation started. All right, John. So I want to say it was back in November when uh, we first got this show going. We had recently interviewed Dr. Peter Wagner, and it was he talked about church in the workplace. And afterwards, Peter had lined up a few people that he wanted to introduce me to, and one of them just so happens to be a neighbor of mine just down the street a couple miles, Becca Greenwood. Hi, nice it's great on. to be with you guys. <laughs> and so anyway, Becca and I met at a local Mexican restaurant here in Falcon, where we both live, and her and her husband, Greg, and I met, and we just talked, kind of chatted just to get to know each other. She mentioned she had a new book coming out called Defeating Strongholds of the Mind, A Believer's Guide to Breaking Free. And John, I don't know if you remember this, but... Just a few days prior to that meeting, you and I were talking about show ideas and you had brought up the topic of strongholds. And the reason that that has come up so often, Stephen, the work I do as an executive coach, when you're talking with people about creating the life that they really desire and in, in getting that down to the details of goal setting and planning. I always work with my clients on what I call limiting beliefs. And there's just tremendous amount of just filters and limits that we have on ourselves that have just come from our life. And as we can shift our identity uh, to one with that relationship with the Lord, but really identify these, these limits in our life, these really link back to strongholds. And I think just breaking through those walls and just blowing them down is just the key for people to just move forward in a powerful way. So Rebecca, I'm really excited to have you on today and just talk about all the work that you've done. Oh, I'm very excited to be here. You know, we have been ministering to people in the body of Christ now for 23 years, and we have uh, ministered to leaders. Uh, we've ministered to people, you know, members within the church. We've done many, many conferences. And this is one reason why I felt the Lord was prompting me to write this book, because with as many people as we have prayed for, and as many people as we have taught and, just, you know, poured into and even trained them in leadership, it's so important to be able to identify what are those areas in our life where we're limiting ourselves. I love what you call it, limiting beliefs. Well, you know, what are where are we limiting ourselves? What are lies that we have embraced because of our life circumstances or things that have happened that would keep us or hold us back from the fullness of identity that, that the Lord has for us? So I'm really excited to be here with you guys and to share today about this message because I really believe it's going to equip people. I believe people are going to get tools themselves uh, on how to be free and have the mind of Christ. And I believe also there'll be those that will be equipped to be able to help others identify those as well. So Becca, what are strongholds? We, 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 <laughs> we, 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 hear, we hear that word all the time, but what exactly is a stronghold? You know, how I define a stronghold, that it is actually a lie that the enemy tells us or our life circumstances or perceptions might speak to us and we will count it as true, but it is actually false. And so, you know, some examples might be, uh, you know, of, of some ways that we can identify some strongholds is, you know, I used to struggle with anger. I, I share a lot of my personal testimony in this book because I myself used to struggle with depression. 
I used to struggle with fear and I used to struggle with anger. And so in my mind, when I was dealing with anger, it, and I was having to overcome that stronghold, angry thoughts, it was like, well, I'm just angry. You know, I, I'm feisty. And so um, that's just the way that I am. So it's okay for me to always get the last word in a disagreement. It's okay for my temper to escalate so I can get my way. And so for me, that was, you know, a belief that I had begun to believe in my mind to justify the behavior that was definitely inappropriate and many times crossed a line over to sin. And so, you know, sometimes people might struggle with um, unbelief. They might say, God wants to do something great for everyone else but me. God, God's word applies to everyone else but me. That person can be really successful. But you know, I was terrible in math in school, so and I did not do good in school, so therefore I cannot be successful in my adult life. They can be very subtle, you know, beliefs and strongholds that we begin to believe. I, I think I think subtlety is is indeed a big key of it because mm-hmm. a lot of people they develop strongholds because I I think subtlety is indeed key because that's really how strongholds are set. You you, you don't you don't go outright believing a lie. Instead, you it's it's a little step here and a little step here. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. A little step here, a little step there. You know, sometimes maybe even people grew up in an atmosphere, you know, where they heard things said, you know, like, well, we, you know, uh, uh, you know, let's our family, we've just always had a temper. We've just always gotten really upset. So people even begin to hear other people say things and they're like, oh, well, this is just a part of who I am to be. You know, a big one, even with men and women that we see across the board as we minister is a lot of people. People, uh, they are struggle with low self-esteem or uh, they struggle with, you know, thoughts of self-rejection or unworthiness. And we see we see this a lot across the board with men and women that that we minister to. And that kind of goes back to even when I was saying, I'm not ever going to quite be uh, good enough, um, you know. And so people begin to, you know, believe that lie about themselves that I have to settle for less because I'm not good enough to be who God fully has created me to be. Um, Or maybe there's a subtlety in a stronghold of, you know, I don't know how, you know, I know God wants me to be better, but I don't know how to get there. So therefore, I'll just stay in my comfortable place and not try to grow beyond my comfort zone. So all of those are little subtle things that begin to come into our thinking. John, you see a lot of leaders that while on the outside They look Mm -hmm. like they're confident they've got it all together. But as an executive coach, John, you see a lot of leaders that when everything is stripped away and you're talking to them one on one, that's a big stronghold for them, right? Yeah, not only that, but, you know, put it in their words, just a fear of failure, uh, a fear of success, a fear of maybe not being, uh, you know, worthy of goodness in their life just because of things in their past. So, Becca, when you're training and doing the conferences that you do, how do you have people connect to some of the root causes of those strongholds? Because until you have awareness of really what they are, it's it's hard to work on it, both in prayer and also with, you know, mentors in your life and in people that you know. What 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 we do is we try to help people find what we call the root. What is the root? What what is the cause? Just like what you're saying of this belief. And so sometimes it very much. And I even have a chapter on this in the book. It can be from trauma from the past. You know, uh, we have done so much ministry, and so many people unfortunately come from homes maybe where there was uh, abuse. There might have been verbal, emotional abuse, sometimes physical, sometimes sexual, but also maybe not even. Even abuse, but maybe not even affirmation. Uh, there can be homes where people just did not receive a lot of affirmation. Uh, you know, when they were growing up, of you can do this. You, you, you know, we bless you. We believe in you. You know, it can be things like that. We've seen with many people. It can even be teachers that they had along the way that were very negative or critical of them. Um, 
It can also be, you know, from bullying, from, you know, people growing up and being bullied on a regular basis if they were around that kind of atmosphere. And so what we try to help people identify is what is that root issue, that open door in your life or that trauma that will cause you to start feeling, uh, you know, unworthy or fear of success or fear of failure. You know, um, sometimes people were in homes and if they didn't, we, we see this a lot, a lot. Now, it's not as strong um, in our Western culture, but in some areas it is. You know, parents put a level of perfectionism on their kids as well. And if they don't live up to that, they don't feel like that they have succeeded. And so sometimes it can be words that were spoken over people when they were young or abuse. So we help them find that. You know, I have a whole chapter on forgiveness. (laughs) And um, forgiveness is so very important and so very key. And so many times when we identify who was that person or what was that situation that brought, you know, that unworthiness or that fear into your life? Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone that you need to release? And then we start Once that lie is identified, um, then we start telling people, you know, let's focus on your kingdom identity. Once that lie is identified, if there's forgiveness that needs to be released, we release the forgiveness. But then we start, you know, helping people focus in on what does the word of God say? Who does he say that you are? You know, uh, John, you had mentioned fear, you know, fear of success, fear of failure. I really had an issue with fear. And I actually trained nine years to sing opera. So I performed on the stage for nine years. And so, um, you know, so I really was very outgoing and I loved to be on the stage, but oh my goodness, before big performance, I mean, I would go, I mean, I'd be so nervous. I couldn't sleep three or four days beforehand. I mean, just, and I would get out there and be able to do it, but I had fear of authority figures. I had fear of failure. I had fear of heights, fear of dark. I mean, it was a big deal in my life. And I was a people pleaser. And so when my husband, Greg, and I first married, he used to sit down with me and say, repeat after me, say no, because I was living my life on what others wanted for me because I wanted to please people so much I could never say no. It might not have been something I wanted to do and and certain situations of things I was asked to do or even that I felt God wanted me to do. But in order to please people, I would always say yes. And so, but the Lord... uh, I went to a women's event and the leaders were teaching on fear and identifying what does that sound like? What does that look like? And so I was like, that is me. They are describing me. I was around 25, 24 years old. And uh, so that was a long time ago. It's 23 years ago. And but when they were teaching on this that morning, I'm like, they are describing me. And so they prayed for us at the end. And I felt something change. But what began to happen was not only did did I get freedom from that stronghold when they prayed, but I had to change how I thought. I had to begin to identify where had I believed those belief, that lie of fear? And, um, and so there would even be times I was in prayer, I would be reading my Bible, and I could feel those thoughts of fear trying to come back on me. And I would just say, Lord, or come back into my mind, however you want to word it. And I said, Lord, what is it that I need to do? And, and, and he would help me. He would just say, Becca, speak, repeat after me. And I say, okay. And he would say, fear. And I would say, fear, I am no longer submitted to you. I am no longer submitted to you. I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. And I would begin to read from the word of God. I have power. I have love. I have a sound mind. I have a spirit of adoption by which I cry out, Abba, Father. And I just begin to speak and, and agree with those. And so I literally went through like a two month process of really having to um, not only um, gain that freedom and victory, but hold it, maintain it and change my thought patterns and how I was reacting. And I can honestly say I'm not afraid. I love to fly. I can't sleep if there's one light on in the house. Uh, I've learned how to say no really good. when God tells me to. <laughs> so, so Becca, when you check. first Becca, when you first started that process, did, yeah. did was your mind rebelling saying this you're describing somebody who I uh, that's not me. Yes, yes. And even when they when these speakers were even talking at that event, you know, the f- first little bit, I was a little offended, you know. It's like 
well, what's wrong with that? You know, and and so I felt that offense come up, and and so absolutely. And then my mind would, you know, you have to retrain your thinking once you've believed a lie and it's been identified, and we repent of that belief. Then we have to really begin to change our patterns, change our behaviors, and our thinking. And sometimes people are like, "Well, I don't feel like doing that." And the reality is, if we lived everything that we did based on our feelings, we would never be where we needed to be. I mean, God. Wants us to be happy, yes, and he loves us and wants to bless us. But if I had listened to everything my mind was saying and even my feelings in that process, I would not have been able to totally overcome those lies. You know, it's interesting. There's been a lot of research and studying, you know, just about limiting beliefs and where they come from. And they're really developed when we're young, just how we start thinking about ourselves. And we start manifesting these things consciously or unconsciously. We're trying to almost prove our mindset so you know you think about you know your situation you're going to go speak in a room or you start singing you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach you start getting that those sweaty hands that's that the subconscious really trying to draw um ourselves into an area it's trying to protect us from something so mm-hmm. getting getting to that core like you did and having the awareness of what that is that filter that that program that's running that, I, that you need to reprogram. So what do you do with somebody to help them identify that, but then also reprogram that? You talked a little bit about what you did, but what are some other strongholds that have really been, I guess, are, are strongholds that you've really seen uh, a lot of as you've done the ministry work you've done? Well, like, you know, you've, you've tapped on one of the when, earlier when you said unworthiness, fear of uh, success, fear of failure. Those are all really, really big. Uh, rejection. Um, a lot of people, um, you know, s- struggle with self-rejection um, as well. I'm not good enough. And so the rejection is probably fear and rejection. Anxiety um, is are probably some of the most strongest that we see now. Uh, also, depression. Uh, depression is a big issue in our culture right now. I mean, it's it's anxiety and depression are the number one um, emotional and mental illness in our nation right now. And so we see a lot of people um, that we minister to that are struggling with these issues. And so we, we really help them like what we're talking about, identify that root. For me personally, when that fear came in, um, it was because I actually had a traumatic um, fall when I was three years old from a high place, and I broke my elbow. And um, and I know that sounds minor, but my don't stone, you know, the teacher. But I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and so we were avid Dallas Cowboy football fans. Woohoo! All right, and so um, you know, uh, Drew Pearson, number eighty-eight, is still my favorite. Favorite player. I have an autographed picture of him in my living room. Yay, Jesus. So, but um, I was three years old and uh, my parents went to a Dallas Cowboy football game. And so uh, they couldn't find a babysitter. My mom left us with a there at da- in Dallas at Brookhaven Country Club at their the, for four hours at their daycare place, which was very highly respected. Anyway, I fell, broke my elbow, and the lady in authority. This is where the people pleasing and fear of authority came in for me. Is she got very angry because I wouldn't stop crying, and so she stuck me in a dark room and was yelling at me to stop crying. And my older sister wanted to come and comfort me. And she was yelling at my sister, leave her alone, leave her alone. And and so my sister was crying. And needless to say, my parents were not happy And <laughs> when they picked me up. But, you know, but um, because of that, there was fear of heights, fear of dark, fear of authority figures that, you know, began to happen in my in my life. And so that for me, when I identified that route and when they were speaking, that helped me greatly. So those are the kinds of things we want to help people identify. What is that open door? But then we want to teach them. According to the word of God, I call them kingdom identities. Who does God say that you are? And so uh, we even have some of these on our website that people can go to and print off, you know, just sheet of, of, of scripture promises of who does God say that we are? What does his word say? And so if you've struggled with rejection, we want to pull out scriptures that are going to talk about that you're accepted, that you're loved. If you've struggled with fear, we want to pull out scriptures of, you know, of I, um, you know, I have a 
spirit of adoption. I do not have a spirit of timidity, but of adoption by which I cry out of a father. I have power, love, and a sound mind. If people struggle with unbelief, we want to pull out scriptures that talk about the power of believing, you know, the word of God and who that who he says that he is. And it's not just looking at those scriptures and John and Steve, you know, one thing I talk about in the book is we want to invite God into that process. So when we start pulling out those scriptures, it's like, Lord, let this become a part of my identity. Lord, let this become what I believe. Holy Spirit, anoint what I am reading out loud and let it become a part of who my kingdom identity is and welcoming the Lord into the process, not just doing something by rote, but allowing the Lord into the process. And when you do that, God really begins to partner with us and helping us change how we think and process. Well, one of the things that I really love about this book is the fact that two thirds of it really are the various problems, the various strongholds that people can have in their lives. And the last third of it really is practical stuff, scriptures, mm-hmm. prayers, ways right. to <laughs> way, 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 ways to retrain your mind, we, ways to renew your mind. What exactly does renewing your mind look like? What exactly mm-hmm. does having the mind of Christ look like? But mm-hmm. in that first two thirds, I, I love it. The fact that you, you, lay, you lay out all of these strongholds and then various questions do I struggle with this? Do I have this? Like unbelief, unforgiveness, covetousness, dishonoring your mother and father, double-mindedness, factions, jealousy, envy, pride, rebellion, and then things that we struggle with like rejection, depression, anxiety, fear, anger, confusion, a whole chapter, like you said earlier, on unforgiveness, as well as traumas, childhood traumas, adult traumas, those types of things. Right. You know, and then we even have the whole chapter of, and I, you know, we're probably going to, you know, step on some toes here. I hope not, but oh well. Oh, go um, ahead. But <laughs> the reality is, you know, even the forms of entertainment that we embrace and things that we'll even view, you know, what, what kind of entertainment, what are we listening to? Are we watching? Are we viewing? Um, you know, all of the, we, we have a whole chapter on the importance of guarding what we're watching and what we're allowing into our thoughts and our emotions through entertainment. Well, you had, you gave one story in this book that really struck me was that a young girl was struggling yes. with nightmares. Tell that story. Oh, there's this young girl we ministered to her, nine years old, and she was struggling, just plagued with nightmares. And she was also in not only having nightmares, but her she was in chronic pain. And they kept taking her to the doctor, could not figure out what was wrong with her. And we were teaching a seminar in Nebraska. And the mother called the pastor and said, would Becca and her husband Greg be willing to meet with my daughter? And we said, sure. So we met with her and and we started to you know pray with the mother and we asked the mother questions and started to pray with the little girl and and i i asked her i said well has she received salvation yet and she hadn't so that was very important we needed to lead her to the lord but then you know we as we continued to pray she kept saying and she called me miss becca miss becca my my stomach is still really hurting the pain is still there and I just asked the Lord, Lord, you're going to have to show us what's going on here. And he did. And so I asked the mom, I said, do you have horror movies in your home? Is she allowed to watch horror movies? And she goes, oh, no, she's only nine. She's not allowed to watch them. I said, well, I just really feel like there's horror movies in your home. I really feel like the Lord is showing me this. And she said, well, my husband loves to watch them, but she's not allowed to because she's too young. And I explained to her, I said, you have to understand that even though she's not allowed to watch them, having, I mean, like a whole bookshelf full. She said he watched them all the time. Having them in your home and that atmosphere in your home, that's an open door for your daughter to have these nightmares. And so... We prayed for the little girl, and the Lord touched her, and she left with salvation, and the pain in her stomach left. But I told the mom, you've got to get rid of those movies. And they, she went home, and the dad saw the change in this little girl and was so thrilled over it. He threw out all the horror movies in their homes, and she has not had a night. Well, that was many years ago. I mean, she's now grown. I mean, that was almost 10 years ago. But she literally has the nightmare stopped. The pain in her stomach stopped. Everything, uh, peace just totally came into their home. And so, you know, we have to have understanding of what we're allowing in our homes can greatly affect us and our families as well. That is a 
that is a powerful example because I, you know, I'm a true believer in just spiritual warfare and things that are going out there. Because that leads me to my next question. You know, there's so many people we work with that are leaders, and a lot of the strongholds I think also come from a sense of identity. When we have a very mature relationship with Christ, and our identity is coming from that relationship and feeling the Holy Spirit and understanding their guidance, what is what is pleasing to God in that relationship versus being given to us from the world, the opinions of others, you know, the we get our worth from how what people say about us. I'm sure all of us mm-hmm. have gotten an email that's negative or criticized us personally. We, we've lost sleep over it. We've obsessed about it. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the strongholds that you've seen that have really limited people really in that in that spiritual development journey and the spiritual development journey. Um, I would definitely say opinion, like what you're talking about, opinion of others and be that others reflect on people. And then they begin to believe that about, about themselves. Um, you know, we have ministered to so many people. We've ministered to young people that if their mother and father do not value them and show them worth and affirmation, um, how much they do struggle in their identity with Christ. You know, we, we call it fatherlessness and motherlessness. I don't know, if John, you've used those terms, but when people have not had that affirmation from those that they are walking with it went from a young age, whether it be their guardians, their grandparents, their parents, whoever's taking care of them, that's really where people begin to struggle with their identity um, a lot. And so... Um, we really help people understand that, okay, even if you had that growing up and you didn't have that identity spoken into you, um, that God is an awesome God. He's a loving God and that he can replace, he can not replace, but he can actually fill those empty places in your life uh, with his love and with his identity. So what I would say is the most common cause of that would be fatherlessness and motherlessness, where they really did not receive that father's love and that mother's love from a young age. So if the you, parents might have been there, but they might not have shown love. So, you know, Becca, that reminds me of a story of, you know, uh, uh, Jacob and, and Esau and, and Isaac. And I'll yes. never forget once I was with uh, in a, gr- a group of men and there was a guy that was just sharing that his, he'd never gotten his father's blessing. And and it became clear that a lot of how he saw himself in these in these terrible challenges he's having his life really stemmed from that. And a friend of mine grabbed him and he looked him in his eye and says, you'll never get this blessing from your father. But, you know, through Christ, I give you my blessing. And this, I saw this person just break down and weep and they were hugging each other. And I've stayed in touch with this person. His life has been transformed through that event. So there's things that we can do as the body of Christ to come in and fill that role where we where we have seen other people that have grown up in that fatherless, motherless uh, culture. Because sometimes it's hard for us to just connect to God and just say, okay, I'm going to get my blessing purely from God. We're not, we're not there in our journey yet, but um, that was a powerful experience for me to witness. I hadn't thought about yeah. that for a while. We do that a lot in our ministry. And so what we do when we come across people who have had that fatherlessness or motherlessness, they've never had that blessing, we actually will step in in that ministry setting in that time with that person and we will we will release that for them. Um, you know, if I'm ministering to a young woman, I've done this many, many times, to where there was an issue with her mother, I will begin to speak into her, just like I would if she was one of my three daughters. Um, when my husband is there ministering with me, um, if it's a woman that needs that from a father, or if it's a man that needs that father's blessing, he will do that same thing, begin to speak into them that father's blessing. And we have watched so many people transform. It's really a beautiful thing right in front of our eyes uh, when they begin to hear and, and, and God begins to speak into them through another person. And the reality is, is we have like what you're saying, it's a beautiful picture. We have each other in the body of Christ that we can release and we can speak that blessing into someone's life. And we have mentors and we can have spiritual mentors that can become 
become just as as vital in our lives, even as a biological mother and father that can speak identity into our lives as well. And so that is something that is very key that we do often, a lot within our ministry. I was actually just ministering in Korea to pastors and leaders. There were 300. And the Lord had me uh, redirected my teaching. And he had me teach about the Father's heart of love and a Father's blessing, even though I'm a woman, but he was having me teach on the Father's heart of love. And especially even in Asian culture, this is a pretty big deal. And it was beautiful to watch by the end of the service, just God touching their hearts and weeping. And these were pastors, leaders, marketplace leaders, government leaders. And at the end of the service, the um, the gentleman that had asked me to speak, uh, the leader, he got up and he said, I'm going to hug the men, you hug the women. And so after we taught for an hour, we just released that love to all of these leaders. And it was such a beautiful thing to watch. They transformed and in front of our eyes. And I literally had one marketplace leader, a business leader come up to me the next day and he said you this message changed my life he said um, I, I have felt the father's love for the first time in my life and he said and I, I've realized I have not treated my wife or my children with that so I'm going home to repent and I'm going to release to them what I've gotten here and I'm calling a staff meeting tomorrow uh, he was a business owner and he said and I'm going to also release this to my employees and to my staff it's really an awesome time it was beautiful you know, share more about that. What would that look like? As you and Greg, your husband, you're working with people, and you're equipping them to be able to release that blessing into people's lives. What do you share with them? When we're equipping them to release that blessing? Yeah. You, like, mean, you know, somebody's listening to this. So like, you know, I know okay. somebody that you're describing who's who's grown up fatherless, motherless. I'd mm-hmm. love to be that person that just sows that blessing into their life and and, and be that link. Mm-hmm. Well, what I would suggest to them is just really start in that relationship that they have with them, start what I call making deposits in the bread basket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really start depositing those those love deposits into their lives. And, and even sitting down, if they have the kind of relationship with them, just sitting down with them and just saying, you know, um, if they, they have that openness to talk and talk with them about that issue in their lives, you know, um, if they, especially if they have that openness to talk with them and just like what we're talking about start speaking and releasing just saying you know I can't be your parent, but I really think the Lord wants me to speak and release that blessing into your life and start speaking that over them. And if their person isn't open, you you sense that that person has this, but they're not ready to say this is an issue in my life. Start treating them with that love and that father's heart of blessing and that mother's heart of blessing and making those deposits in the bread basket because people will be drawn to that and it will eventually touch their hearts and bring them to a place where they're willing to say, you know, I really have been struggling with this and this has meant so much to me. Um, We believe in teaching and equipping. If there's an atmosphere where it can be, you know, taught and shared on and then that uh, made available for that kind of interaction to happen, I think that that's real important and very key as well. But we've ministered to a lot of people who weren't ready even (laughs) to admit it. But we've made those deposits in the breadbasket, just releasing that love and hugging on them, loving on them. Um, when they walk into a room, you know, walking over and being sure to hug them and just say, and start, start speaking affirmation into them and speaking that blessing. But if they're open to that one-on-one personal ministry, you know, go there with them. Go there with them and, and you know, share with them, you know, just like what you were even saying, John. You know, I'm going to, I want to speak this blessing into your life and release that. Um, sometimes people are going to have to repent. If they've really, you know, embraced a stronghold, there's usually that step of repentance as well, of personal responsibility of, Lord, forgive me for believing this lie and embracing this. Becca, we hear all the time, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But I know for a lot of people, I know for myself, for years, I didn't understand what that meant. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? 
You know, when we begin renewing our mind, it literally means we're renewing our mind to begin thinking like Christ, to begin to have that mind of Christ. And so if we're going to have the mind of Christ, if we're going to start renewing our mind to think that way, what is that going to look like? And, you know, we're going to, and steps to take to get to that place, you're obviously going to want to spend time in the Word, but not just the Word, but really, like I said, inviting the Holy Spirit into that process of studying the Word. Have a life of thanksgiving and praise. I mean, really choosing to have a life of thanksgiving and praise, no matter what our feelings are dictating to us, you know, even if we don't feel like I don't want to open my mouth and praise, if we just learn to say, Lord, I'm going to choose to praise you doing, doing these things, uh, you know, not only um, praising the Lord, but having thanksgiving, Lord, I thank you, Lord, I thank you for the good things, you know, learning to keep our focus on the good things that God is doing and not the negative. Um, you know, are very, very key and very important. But when we begin to have that mind of Christ, we're going to learn that we're going to love what he loves. (laughs) We're going to, and I know this sounds kind of harsh, but I'll explain it in a minute. We're going to hate what he hates. So what do I mean by that? I mean that, you know, he does not like sin. God hates sin. God hates evil. And so when we begin to renew our mind and have the mind of Christ, things that are evil, things that are unholy, things that are not pure, there's going to be that, that change that begins to happen within our thoughts and our emotions to where we don't want to entertain things that are unholy or things that are not pure. And so we, you know, we'll be, we'll find our, ourselves. You know, we do what we call, and I'm not trying to go back to entertainment, but it's a good example of this. We do what we call spiritual house cleaning once a year um, in our home, meaning that we, you know, at the beginning of every year, Lord, is there something in our home that's not glorifying you? It might not be a sin issue, but is there something, you know, Lord, that we, you know, we've just grown in our walk the past year that maybe you don't want us to listen to, or maybe we just desire more of God. So we just want to become even more pure and holy in the things that we are doing in our personal lives. So God will cause us to love what he loves. We'll start to pull away from those things that he does not like. <laughs> uh, we will learn to, you know, we'll have his heart. Lord, what, it, what what is on your heart? We'll begin to love others with the heart of the Lord. We'll begin to love our family members with the love of the Lord. You know, to have the mind of Christ means that we're going to want, um, you know, we're going to want to see God's kingdom glorified. We're going to want to, in our personal lives, want to see God's kingdom um, extended um, wherever he has placed us and whenever wherever he has put us. We're going to want humility. You know, the closer we get in the mind of Christ we have, we can be totally bold and humble all at the same time. And so, you know, we'll, we'll have that humility. We'll be teachable. Um, we'll to have the mind of Christ. There'll be that wisdom and that creative ability that he'll even increase in our lives as we have the mind of Christ and we'll think on things that are good we'll think on things that are lovely we'll think on things that are worthy of praise and when we get that mind of Christ we'll be able to identify pretty quickly um, when we're not thinking (laughs) on the things of the Lord I, I invite the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit if my mind starts to go a place it doesn't need to go show me Speak it to me. Check me. (laughs) And God's been very faithful to do that in my life. That's such a key prayer to pray. And what I love about this is we've created this atmosphere even in our home. We have a daughter that's 24 and twin daughters that are 20. And it blesses me as a mother when they're home and not at college. And this still happens. And I can hear them from their room. I have the mind of Christ. I'm accepted. I'm loved. I'm a daughter of the King of Kings. I'm pretty. <laughs> God makes no mistakes. And I can hear my even my children, my, my young children. And now they're young women, you know, even in their rooms rehearsing and just speaking out who the Lord, you know, who they are and their identity in Christ. And no matter where I am in the world, they can 
I'll get a text from a mama, type me out one of those prayers. And I know instantly what they're asking. And so I'll type them out, you know, just to, you know, words to say, I'm lovely. And the hairs on my head are numbered and God makes no mistakes. And I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made and I'm bold. And, you know, I just start, I'm a victor. I'm more than a conqueror. And I'll type it out for them. And about 10 minutes later, I'll get the response. Thanks, mama. It worked great. I'm doing good now. Love you. (laughs) So... We can just create this kind of belief and atmosphere and from one, and I know you probably have more questions, but from one who used to be fearful, from one who used to have depression, when you have experienced freedom in your life and you know that God can radically change you from one condition into a whole other position and condition with him, you become very passionate about it and you want others to have that same freedom in their lives. Oh, Becca, that reminds me of a saying a friend of mine from Texas always used to say, God don't make no junk. That's right. <laughs> he makes no mistakes. <laughs> well, you know, one of my key takeaways from just listening to you this conversation, I was just thinking of um, the Secret Service, oddly enough. But, you know, when they're looking at counterfeit money, do you know the only thing that they study is the actual dollar bill? Everything about it, every detail about it. Because if they know that dollar bill, the way that it's supposed to be made perfectly, then they can spot a counterfeit. They actually never study the counterfeits because if they know what perfection is, everything else becomes so self-aware and self-evident. And I think, you know, studying scripture, the mind of Christ, how God looks at us, you know, how we should be looking at ourselves, And if we're actually studying it from God's perspective and we just have Mm -hmm. knowledge and learning and awareness of that, then all of a sudden when we have these thoughts or these limiting beliefs or... Maybe this victim mentality comes up. It's very hard for us to, you know, Mm -hmm. praise a certain situation or even find joy in our trials and tribulations because we're looking at that from the counterfeit perspective. And Mm -hmm. so so that just just for me, that was a takeaway to always have front of mind and just kind of renew my my, you know, my my thinking and my uh, my time and study of just what is you know, the goal that God has in our life and the in the in, in in vice versa. So Beck, as we wrap up, what are some of the key takeaways you'd love to leave with people here as they're they're driving to work, they're working out, they've been listening to us have a conversation. Oh, that's such a great question. Uh, the key takeaways. I'm, I'm going to get a little bit personal here, and then I'll, I'll share some points. Um, and I already have just a little bit, but I just want to say, um, from you know, from my, what I've experienced from the Lord personally, and I'm so thankful. I <laughs> just so thankful and grateful for the freedom that God has brought into my life, and that I've seen Him brought into others' lives. That I want people to know God is a good God. See, God wants you to know who you are. God wants you to be so secure in your identity. I'm going to say this. We have an enemy who has never nor will he ever play fair, okay? And he does not want us in our kingdom identity. But the reality is, is that God does. And if we will look at how he sees us, in his word. And if we'll, we'll believe it. And even if you have like, say, Becca, I'm reading his word and I see what it says, but I have a hard time believing it. Then this is what you do. Lord, help me. Give me faith. Lord, when I'm reading this, let, let me begin to understand and grab hold of what you are saying of who I am. Lord, renew my mind. Welcome him into the process of what you are doing and be tenacious. Um, um, don't expect a 20, you know, don't expect something to change, you know, and, you know, in a day or two days, you know, for me personally, when I overcame depression and literally um, the depression that I was struggling with in my life came from personal choices I made because I, I was raised in an awesome home, but I literally, <clears throat> excuse me, I literally made some sinful choices for three years. I was a prodigal and God brought me back, but there were these gu- thoughts of guilt and shame and condemnation in my mind that were really, really loud. <laughs> so, and it caused me to not want to get out of bed in the morning. You know, thoughts like God's never going to love you. He's never going to forgive you. 
And it doesn't matter how much you pray, you know, you're just not ever going to be able to use that be used by God. Look what you did in your life. I could go to church. I was a leader. I mean, we were home group leaders. We were youth leaders. I was on the worship team and I could put a smile on my face, but I'd walk back into the doors of my home and those that voice would be really, really loud. And so one day the Lord told me to read the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And, and I felt the Lord prompting me to do that. And so I did. And he said, Becca, don't just read it, study it. And I did. And here we had a woman for 12 years that, you know, spent all of her money, right? And um, to get to get healed. And she wasn't. And literally because of the law, she could have no human touch, none for 12 years, because anyone that touched her, they themselves would be unclean. Not only that, when she went out in public, she had to shout unclean, unclean, unclean over herself so no one would touch her. So she had been totally ostracized. For 12 years. And it was like when I studied it, I just saw it. I saw the magnitude of what God had healed her from. And I said, Lord, if you can heal her, you can heal me. And he did. And I, I began to cry out and it's a long story, but I'll just make it short. And basically what happened is I got to church that night and I looked at my home group pastor. I said, tonight is my night for freedom. And she looked at me and she saw that determination on my face. And she said, you're right. It is. And she laid hands on me and she prayed a very simple prayer. She said, Lord, show her what you want her to see. And, um, you know, so and I hope this is okay to share with this group, but, you know, I'm an intercessor. I do have a prophetic gift. So I see things. I'll have dreams. I'll have visions. Is that all right to go there? Absolutely. And and so and so I have to tell this part as well. And if this gets long, you guys can, you know, can cut it back. But after I got done reading before I got to church that night and after I got done reading about the woman with the issue of blood, I was on my living room floor and I started crying out. I literally did. I said, Lord, if you can heal her, you can heal me. I want to be set free. And our oldest daughter was two. And she was from a very young age, was having dreams, uh, was very gifted with dreams and could see things spiritually. And my shouting woke her up and I could hear my two-year-old daughter from her room going, Mommy, I'm hungry. I'm hungry in her two-year-old voice. And so after about 10 minutes, I get up and I go to her room. And because she is just, you know, it's hard for me to pray when I'm hearing, Mommy, I'm hungry. Mommy, why are you crying? Mommy, you okay? Mommy, I hungry. (laughs) So I finally get up and I get her and I worked really hard on her snack that day, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And she's sitting in the booster seat. And I'd I'd been crying out to the Lord after reading that scripture. And I felt the Lord touch me. But then while I'm feeding my oldest daughter, Kendall, and she's eating her sandwich, the voice came back even louder. I'm still here. I told you I wouldn't leave. I told you God's not going to set you free. So now I'm really in this torment. And my two-year-old daughter, little we'll just, we just call her a prophet. That's what she is. She's now 24, about to get married. She starts laughing. And she starts hitting her little leg. And she says, Mama, it's so funny. Ah, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, my Lord, I'm in this mental torment. What is so funny? And this two-year-old child climbed up out of her booster seat. Every time I share this, I, I get, I, sometimes I get emotional. And she starts walking back and forth in front of me like a warrior. Whoa, Mama, look like this. And whoa. And I said, baby, she goes, what are you seeing? She goes, it's so funny, Mama. I said, baby, what is it? And she said, mama, don't you see? It's Jesus and an angel doing this for you. And she started walking back and forth like a warrior in front of me. Oh, I, you know, like she's protecting me, mimicking them, protecting me. And so I said, if you're here fighting for me, Jesus, I'm going to fight with you. And that night I went to church. And I went to my home group leader. I said, tonight's my night for freedom. And she said, you're right. And so she laid hands on my eyes and the Lord took me in a vision. And in this vision, I saw this ancient book and it was being drawn to my face. And in it, I could see my name written in gold. Rebecca Long, which was my maiden name, Greenwood. And it was my name written in gold in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so I began to weep. And another pastor came from across the room and he laid hands on my eyes and he said, Lord, show her what you want her to see. And this time the Lord gave me a vision and I saw Jesus and the wind of the spirit was blowing all around him. 
And he got right up to my face and he said, Becca, take up your cross, follow me. It is over. It is finished. And when that word finished came out of his mouth, I felt all of that guilt and that shame and that condemnation and that depression just lift off of me. And I can honestly say with after that personal encounter with him, I have not been depressed since. But there was that season that after he touched me so profoundly. So what do I want to encourage people with? Seek encounters with the Lord. (laughs) He's faithful. He'll meet you there. Seek encounters with him when you read the word of God. You might not see like I see, but he will show himself to you in a very faithful way because he wants you free and victorious more than you want it. And that's what we have to believe in. He wants it for us even more than we want it. And even after that freedom that I received, I, you know, I could sometimes feel my thoughts try to go back to those thoughts of heaviness or that depression. And I would just say, I, sometimes I even lay hand on my mind. I just take my, thought cap, my thoughts captive now in obedience to Jesus Christ. I choose joy. Lord, I praise you. I worship you. I'm a worshiper. So I'd open my mouth and I still do this to this day. I'll just open my mouth and start singing to the Lord. And I love you, Lord. And I, and you know, I, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And as peace comes. So I just want to leave that with everyone. You know, he wants you free. He loves you. He's an awesome, off-the-charts, amazing Father and God. And when we choose to welcome him into our process, and we worship him, and we seek him, he will meet us in the midst of whatever we are going through, and he will set us free. Amen. That song actually had John and I tearing up, and we hope that touched you as well. Rebecca is one special lady, and if you would like more information about her, her books, uh, where she's ministering, or would like information on how to book her in your community, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 038. We'll have all that information in our show notes. That's eternalleadership.com slash 038. And as I always say, that link is embedded in this MP3. So if you're listening on your smartphone, tablet, or computer, just look for that link in the description, click on it, and it'll take you right to the page for this episode. As I shared earlier this month, John and I saw a big bump in our March downloads, and April so far is shaping up like it's going to be even better. So we thank you if you've joined us for prayer, share, and feedback. Um, Prayer for us as we figure out how to monetize this so we can get you more shows every week sharing this show with friends or over social media, and giving us feedback. Thank you. Seriously. We love you all and pray that each episode edifies each of you as you listen. We're having so much fun with this, so thanks. Next time on Eternal Leadership, an amazing story of success, prison, and redemption. A Baptist pastor in the prison who'd taken a fall and was in in prison and was on his way back shared with me the words that, that, that really guide the path to destruction, which is that if you let the devil in the car, by the end of the block, he's going to be driving. And I had lived that. But then I also had people speak into my life the words of, of restoration and redemption, and that there were second chances. And I didn't want to believe people when they told me that there were second chances. Because I was still, you know, if you're in your own head, and you've come to grips with the things that you've done, and the sin that you've committed, and you're in the process of getting what the Lord is all about and what grace is all about, you can't imagine anybody forgiving that. 
Eric Lynn shares his story next time. I, I know I often say don't miss it, but this is really one great story. So for John Ramsett, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. <laughs> <laughs>